Thank you, Tim, for that prayer supplication. And I want to say thank you to our, our music team that does such a wonderful job each Sunday in helping us to worship the Lord and sing it. I appreciate the musicians and appreciate the singers. And uh, it's just such a delight to come and be led in worshiping the God, uh, worshiping the Lord in music by those who have talents and and, and have a, a love for uh, leading in uh, music. And so we thank you all for your leadership in that area. In your Bibles this morning, if you'll turn to the uh, 14th chapter of the Gospel of Luke, I've been bringing a series of messages from the Gospel of Luke for some time now entitled Simply Follow Me, which is the Lord's call to everyone who chooses to be a believer and be a part of the kingdom of God. And uh, so we'll begin uh, in, in uh, chapter 14, verse 1. You know, in the context of today's text and, and that just preceding it, we know that our Lord is drawing ever closer uh, and nearer to the final chapter of his earthly ministry and uh, his mission of redemption here on the earth as he makes his way through the region of Judea and on the way to the city of Jerusalem and then more specifically to a place called the Skull, where he will lay down his life, his innocent, sinless life, to pay the price for the redemption of our sins. He will be crucified for us. So suffice it to say that Jesus' journey to the cross, his mission and his ministry on this earth was certainly not a picnic, not a walk in the park. If anything, it would be more accurate to say that our Lord's journey to the cross was more like a spiritual gauntlet as Jesus found himself encountering unyielding opposition from the very beginning. I mean, we're talking about opposition from the, the religious leaders of Judaism at that time. We know that he received uh, encountered resistance from the devil himself, from demons, from the, the Jewish people themselves, and even on some occasions, his own followers. And yet Jesus never despaired. He never was discouraged to the point of just throwing in the towel and giving up. He persisted. He persevered. Why? Because he loves us. Because he loves you. And that's what drove the Lord all the way to the cross. And so in yet another confrontation with the Pharisees, we hear a whole lot about the Pharisees in these most recent messages as Jesus is drawing closer and closer to the region of Judea and on to the city of Jerusalem, where is the heart of Judaism there at the temple, of course. And so in this encounter, we see Jesus demonstrates his superior divine authority as he once again sees through their spiritual veneer and he exposes these so-called spiritual shepherds of the people of God for who they really are. And in our text today, we witness just how the Lord does this. So as we begin here in chapter 14 in verse 1, we see how Jesus exposes in this incident, he exposes their sinful indifference their sinful indifference. And we'll be looking at chapter 14, verse 1. Now it happened 
So Luke doesn't say a specific day. He doesn't uh, tell you the uh, exact city or town. Or he just says, now it happened. As he went into the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath, that they watched him closely. And uh, and so let's just, let's just stop there. And in fact, we'll, we'll go ahead and read verse 2. And behold, there was a certain man before him who had dropsy. You know, just as a footnote, when we consider, you know, Jesus's adversaries were constantly attempting to to discredit him, and 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 that was that was their goal was to do anything that they could to discredit him in the eyes of the people that he came to to save, and so the the I, I was just kind of like amazed as I, I saw this. And Jesus is, is there in the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees. And I'm just scratching my head and said, you know, kind of like that Sydney Portier movie out years ago. Guess who's coming to dinner? I guess for the Pharisees, when Jesus shows up, he's been invited to dinner at, at one of the houses uh, of, of one of the rulers of the Pharisees. I don't think this was a genuine social invitation to get to know and fellowship with the Lord because of what Luke records there when Jesus was in the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath. They watched him closely. All eyes were on him, riveted towards the Lord. And so the reason they're watching him so closely is given to us there in verse 2. This is a, this is a, a, a stage setup. Because you've got a man coming in who is in need of healing. It is the Sabbath. And so they, they are watching. They've, it's like they've set a trap. Now, either the Pharisees don't communicate well or they have a short memory because we've already seen on two previous occasions that they unsuccessfully attempted to snare Jesus in the same trap. To, to set him up with somebody that needed healing, but on the Sabbath so that they could make it appear that Jesus was violating the Sabbath so they could point out to the people and say, uh-huh, look at this so-called teacher of God, a preacher of the word, and he's here violating the Sabbath. We saw in chapter six where Jesus healed a man with withered hand on the Sabbath. And we saw again in chapter 13, verses 10 through 17, he healed a disabled woman who was totally disfigured and bent down and couldn't straighten up. And Jesus, out of compassion, healed her. It just happened to be the Sabbath. And in both attempts to stare Jesus, we saw amazingly how Jesus turned the tide on his very adversaries. And they had to leave embarrassed. And so here we are in this occasion in chapter 14, when this man who is suffering from dropsy, which is, is endema, which is basically a disease or a disorder in which the body builds up you know, large amounts of fluid and, and it accumulates in the body, very uncomfortable, disabling. And so here the religious experts assembled on the Sabbath for a dinner, and Jesus was 
probably the guest speaker at this at the synagogue, and it was customary to invite the guest speaker to dinner. And so it all looked harmless until this situation was set up. But Jesus, omniscient Lord as he is, he read them like a book. He knew exactly what was going on in their minds. And he looked right through this veneer of false religious leadership that they were presenting. And Jesus took it upon himself to heal this man. He unveils their sinful indifference towards a neighbor. This is what Jesus is helping to prove here. As you look there in verse three, and Jesus answering spoke to the lawyers and the Pharisees saying, he's asking the question, but he's making a point. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He asked them the question. They didn't say anything. But they kept silent in verse four. And he took him and he healed him and he let him go. Then he answered them saying, which of you having a donkey or an ox that has fallen into a pit will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath? You see the point that Jesus is making here? He's saying here you are so concerned about me healing a man. Now, Jesus knew that the law had given clear instructions that they were to love God with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their mind. But he also knew they were given the second greatest commandment, which was to love their neighbor. This man who was suffering with a physical ailment was their neighbor. He turns the, 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 the trap on them. He says, now, which one of you? If you came along, you found that your precious mode of transportation, your donkey, fell into a well, was down there on the Sabbath, and you're telling me you're just going to walk by and let that precious commodity, that, that, that donkey that belongs to you, you're going to leave it there in the well or your livestock? He knew the answer. It was a rhetorical question. Of course they would say, well, yeah, yeah, we'd, we'd pull it out of the well which would be a violation of the Sabbath as it was understood. And Jesus is basically saying, you, you basically, because of your sinful indifference towards your neighbor, you would treat an animal with more mercy and more kindness than you would this man who is your neighbor, who is a fellow creature created in the image of God. And so the trap is maternal then. You'll notice in verse 6, and they could not answer him regarding these things. They didn't have an answer because they knew what the answer really was. And that is, of course, of course, we were healing a man. Jesus knew and they knew, too. There's nothing in the law, the Mosaic law, that prevented acts of kindness on the Sabbath. But they were trying to use it as a trap so as to discredit Jesus and to, to dissuade the people from following after him. So as we, we continue in this episode here, knowing that, that the Lord has exposed their sinful indifference towards their fellow man, he goes on to expose their sinful, self-centered foolishness. And, and we'll see this as, as this dinner is, is unfolding. 
having turned their trap on themselves and shaming them into silence, the Lord goes on the offensive with a parable in which he deals with their hypocrisy and sinful pride. And so as we look beginning in verse 7 together here in chapter 14, first, he does so with a word to the self-aggrandizing guests, those who were obsessed with, absorbed it, absorbed with the, the tendency to pridefully elevate themselves. Now, to help you to see what was actually transpiring, you have to understand the culture of that day and the setting of that dining room. In that time, the table in which the guests would be seated around would be U-shaped, a U-shaped table that would be low to the ground, not, not one that's high enough for you to sit in a chair. They didn't sit in chairs at the table to dine, but rather they would recline. So around this U-shaped table, according to commentaries that I read, there would be three three-person uh, couches, one on each side table and one at the head table. And the, the idea was whoever was the most honored would sit or lie or recline in that middle spot. So the most honored position would be to be in the middle spot on that three-person sofa laying on the couch on the floor uh, at the head table. And then the next honored position would be either on the right or the left, whoever had the middle positions. So you, so that's what people were looking for when they came. And, and, and Jesus knew. He, he knew that as soon as they got there, that these self-aggrandizing, prideful, you know, the, the Pharisees were constantly wanting to bring attention to themselves. They were wanting people to, to look to them and, and admire them. And so at, I, I imagine as soon as, as the blessing was said, they're re- ready to eat, there was, a, there was like a, a scramble going on. And Jesus is watching, we're told. He's watching. He noted how they chose the best places. It's almost like the game we would often play in Team Kids with the children, uh, like musical chairs, where, you know, you keep taking one chair out of the circle and you try to find every, and you have to get a chair to stay in the game and you have the music going. And when the music stops, everybody has to grab a chair. It gets to be kind of kind of hustle bustle when people are in the chairs. There's there's one less chair than there are people. Well, at the dinner table, it was similar to that as the Pharisees, as soon as the blessing was said, as soon as they were ready, they were scrambling to get one of the middle positions of honor. And Jesus saw that. And he's taken note of that. And he teaches a parable here that is worth our noting today. He says, you know, when you are invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and him come and say to you, give place to this man. And then you begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and sit down in the lowest place, so that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, go up higher. Then you will have the glory in the presence of those who sit at the table. For whoever exalts himself will be abased, 
and he he who humbles himself will be exalted. You know, Jesus is teaching a parable and, and he ends there with a proverb that comes right out of a proverb in chapter 25 of the book of Proverbs. Listen to these words. In verse six, Proverbs 25, six, do not exalt yourself in the presence of the king and do not stand in the place of great men. For it is better that he say to you, come up here than that you should be put lower in the presence of the prince whom your eyes have seen. So you see that the, the parable that Jesus is teaching them here is that if you were smart, you would go ahead and take one of the lower positions around the table. And because if you occupy an honorable position and the, and the host comes to you and says, oh, friend, I, I'm sorry. But, but I've invited another gentleman over here, and he's, he's actually more honorable than you are. And, and, and so I'm going to need you to give up your position. And, oh, we got oh, that, that one over there on the far right. I know. Yeah, I'm sorry. And everybody's watching. And Jesus says, don't, don't jump at the, the, the tendency to pridefully assume the best position of honor and then find yourself being humiliated and embarrassed when the host has to ask you to step down, but automatically assume a position of humility so that if the host comes in and says to you, oh, friend, no, no, you deserve a, a, a position higher than this. And he does the opposite. He has someone else give up their position of honor and you assume that. And so, you see, I think... There's something here, a truth worth our own consideration, because I think it's people, whether you're Christian or not. I think there's a tendency on everybody's part to be tempted to elevate ourselves, sometimes at the expense of others. You know, we may give in to the world's philosophy of climbing to the top of the organizational ladder, no matter who you have to step on on the way up. And, you know, that is so counter through the teachings of Christ, and through the, the, the philosophy of the kingdom of God. We should always seek to resist sinful pride and self-promotion. And that's the way the kingdom of God is designed, that we would, you know, therefore humble yourselves before, the, the, uh, before, the, uh, before God, that he might exalt you in due time, Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 6. But then the Lord also has a word here for the guests. In verse 12, then he also said to him who invited him. Now, when you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. Verse 13, but when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the, the blind. In other words, Jesus is saying, if you really want to accomplish true godly hospitality, then don't go out there and invite people who are able to repay you. He, Jesus is naming off the very ones that the Pharisees are cringing. With each one of these that Jesus named, the, those who are poor, that's a, the main, oh, 
you know, the, the lame, the blind. They're, he's talking about the outcast. Why does Jesus intentionally single out that poor group? Because he knew, they knew, this is a group of people who would never be able to repay. They'd never be able to put on a banquet. They'd never be able to sponsor something so, or do something good for somebody like this. And so Jesus said, invite them. And look at verse 14. And you will be blessed by God. You will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So Jesus unveils this fallacy of reciprocal giving or reciprocity in generosity and hospitality. In other words, you do good for others just to be paid back. That's not the kind of love that is demonstrated in the kingdom of God. And that's what Jesus is saying. Genuine kingdom citizens find great pleasure and satisfaction by humbly serving those who cannot themselves repay in like manner. And Jesus modeled that for us. He did that for you and me that we could never repay him for. How can you repay the Lord for salvation? How can he ever begin to reimburse for eternal life and the hope of heaven? Jesus died on that cross, not thinking, well, they owe me. Somehow I'm going to get something. <laughs> no, Jesus died on that cross because he loved us and he loves us. And that ought to be the motivation of all of our acts of kindness and hospitality not what we can hope that people are going to do back for us to reciprocate, but that we do it out of unselfish, humble love. So we see Jesus has exposed this self-centered foolishness that existed even in the dinner setting among the, the religious leaders. Mind you, these are the, 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 the cream of the crop leaders of Judaism, and they're acting this way. And then as we as we move further there in chapter 17, I want you to see as well how he he exposed their senseless rejection of the kingdom of God. The very ones that talked about the coming kingdom of the Messiah, the ones that so looked forward to the coming of the blessed Messiah, who looked forward to the ushering of the kingdom of God, would actually be rejecting it. Look with me there in chapter 15, uh, uh, chapter 14, verse 15. Now, when one of those who sat at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. It was just imagine the, the tension in the air as Jesus has exposed their sinful indifference towards those who are weak and, 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 and uh, infirmed. As Jesus has exposed their selfish, self-centered uh, foolishness at the table, you can imagine it's a pretty tense, sad, the emotional atmosphere at that time. You could probably cut it with a knife. So some, some well-meaning and, and, you know, and, and not thinking guests just blurted out what would be basically a Jewish toast 
You know, when, when there's dead silence and all eyes on Jesus, then this one fellow, one Pharisee says, uh, like a toast, blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. In other words, the implication was he was inferring that, that that's all of us. Let's celebrate, gentlemen, because we're all going to be in, in the kingdom of God and the blessed Messiah of the kingdom, and we'll be eating that glorious heavenly banquet. And I appreciated Tim putting in our responsive reading how even in Revelation chapter 19 in that wonderful book of, of revelatory vision and, and prophecy, how John talks about the marriage supper of the Lamb. That was one of the great the events of, of the coming kingdom of God that every Jew looked forward to is knowing that one day, because of their faith, they thought they would be in the kingdom of God and, and, and be honored guests at this glorious banquet. And yet we find God's kingdom invitation being rebuffed by the very ones who thought they were automatically in. Look at verse 16. Then he, Jesus, said to him, this is the man that gave the, the, the prophetic toast, a certain man gave a great supper, which symbolically could be the marriage supper of the Lamb in the kingdom of God, the eternal kingdom of God. And he invited many. And he sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. And, and let me just stop there for a second, because as you as you look at this parable that Jesus is teaching here, and you'll you'll see that there are like two invitations. Um, today it's, it's customary when people are sending invitations for weddings or graduations or other special events, uh, long before the actual date of the wedding or the graduation or whatever that special event. They'll send a, a courtesy card that's an invitation. It's basically inviting you to reserve that date on your calendar. You've probably gotten those. Yep, save the date. And then as it gets closer, the formal official invitation comes that says, okay, we've got a spot for you. So, so there were two basic invitations. And so the, 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 the first initial invitation here is, is actually coming from the Old Testament prophets who had prophesied of the coming of the kingdom of God. And, and, and in that, in that prophecy saying to all who were faithful, who followed the Lord by faith, uh, were faithful descendants of Abraham were invited to this wonderful celestial banquet at, at which the, 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 the Messiah himself would be the host. So that was the first invitation that went to the Jews in the Old Testament. And, you know, I like sometimes as you look at different translations, you see different things there. Because he said a certain man gave a and, and this is for the New King James translation, verse 16. He says he gave a, a great uh, supper. And I, I consider that to be the southern version, because we know that in the south, you know, that evening meal is supper. OK. But then again, you get the other translations, you know, like the New American Standard Version that says it, you know, gives invitation to the big, calls it a big dinner. And then the, uh, the English Standard Version calls it a great banquet. But it all represents symbolically 
the coming of the kingdom of the Messiah through salvation. And the first invitation was given out by the Old Testament prophets. The second declaration, the second invitation is coming from that great prophet of God, the forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ, John the Baptist. It's closer to the event now. And not only John the Baptist, but then Jesus also, the son of God himself, would be coming. And they both were making declarations related to the very event that the Jews were looking forward to, the coming of the kingdom of the Messiah. And what did they say? What did John the Baptist proclaim? What did Jesus proclaim? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. So understand the nature of the two invitations as we go forward. To help you to understand how in the world could it be that a people who call themselves the people of God could miss out on the very event that they so longed for and just knew that they were going to be there, just like the man that was given the toast. Blessed is ever all of us guys, Pharisees, because we know we'll be at the banquet. If anybody's at the banquet we're in, how in the world could it be that they would miss out on that very event that they so long for? Look at verse 18. We're getting to the heart of the parable. But they all, now these are all the people that were invited initially. All the honored guests, the initial honored guests, all, not just some, all, with one accord, as if they were all thinking the same thing. They all, they all suffered from the same spiritual blindness. But all with one accord began to make excuses. And the, the excuses be, began to come back. First, there was one who said, oh, good gracious, I'm sorry, I'm paraphrasing. I bought a piece of ground, I bought some real estate, and I must go and see it. I, I ask you to have me excused. Who would buy property not even bothering to go out before the closing date and 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 look at it and inspect it and to make sure that that's that's what you really want. Then there was another in verse 19. He said, "Oh my goodness, ah, uh, I, I, I I've just bought five yoke of oxen. I'm thinking two oxen to a yoke. That's ten oxen. That's 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 quite a few cattle there." And I'm going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. How many of you all ever buy a car without test driving? JJ, do you ever have customers that just say, no, I don't need to test drive. That's a good. Most people want to test drive a car. They want, you know, most, most wise farmers will say, well, you know, those oxen look good. They look healthy. But let me hitch them up to a a plow. Let me hook them, hook them up to a wagon. I want to test and see if they, no, no. He's already purchased. Oh my goodness. I, I just remembered I bought all these auctions. I, I've got to go and test them out. I ask you to excuse me. Flimsy excuses. Irrational excuses. And still in verse 20, another said, 
and this blows my mind. I'm sorry. I, I, I have married a wife. I'm glad. That might not be the case today. But anyway, I, I, I have married a, a wife, and therefore I, I cannot come. I forgot. Oh, my goodness. I've gotten married in the meantime, and, and I can't come to your wedding because i got to go to mine. Or uh, yeah. Why didn't he bring his wife? Anyway, oh, 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 so terribly flimsy. What, what is this representing? You see, they were all excited about the first invitation that they had received through the Old Testament prophets about, oh, yes, we're going to be in the kingdom of God. We're descendants of Abraham. Therefore, we're guaranteed. You know, they missed the whole formula that you have faith. It takes faith. Salvation doesn't come by work. Salvation doesn't come through genealogy. Salvation comes by grace through faith. So when the second invitation came, it came in the form of, of a rustic prophet living out in the wilderness in camel hair, eating locusts, and he was he was shouting to the top of his lungs, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And all those, get ready, get your clothes on, get ready. The kingdom is here. It's not off in the distance, it's here. And then, if that wasn't good enough, the very Messiah himself working dynamic supernatural miracles that would dazzle anybody teaching with divine authority like nobody had the power to do in that time. The Son of God saying, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, the wedding feast is about to begin and they were making excuses. They rejected John and his message. He's not polished like us Pharisees and Sadducees. He doesn't measure up to our... Who does he think he is? He doesn't have, you know, the credentials of Jerusalem like we do. Forget him. We got other things to do. We're too busy. We're too good. And then comes Jesus. Even with the miracles... Even with the divine authoritative teaching of the Son of God. The power he possessed and the love he demonstrated. And still, they made up excuses. He's not one of us. He's a radical rabbi. We don't trust him. He doesn't do things the way we do. He doesn't practice Judaism like we practice Judaism. In fact, he's every... every Every step of the way, countering what we say and what we do. Oh no, we can't. We can't accept his invitation. And they were making up all kinds of excuses why they would not want to receive the invitation being given. So they were doing the unthinkable. To a to a Jew's mind, the people in the parable making excuses not to come to a, a grand banquet. A great supper? It was unthinkable. It was unimaginable. It was an incredible thing as they offered up these flimsy excuses. And look at the reaction of the host, the master. Verse 21. So that the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house being angry. I think angry is an understatement there. 
because he's he's gone through all the trouble. I mean, back in that day, when you put on a big feast, a banquet, particularly at a wedding, this thing could last for days. I mean, you didn't just have finger foods to serve. You kill, I was going to say hogs, but they were Jews. You tell I come from North Carolina in the country. <laughs> no, no hogs, folks. They kill all these beef and and have all this bread and, and, and all the trimming. I mean, they'd eat for days. And he's going through all that preparation. Have any of you ladies ever fixed a good, wholesome, fancy meal and then your guests didn't show up? Didn't even bother to call? Ooh. I'm sure you were just saying to yourself, oh, honey, that's all right. I understand, you know, your bridge game came up. And I said, sure, you want to watch the days of our lives. I understand. I've only worked on this meal for two days. He was angry. Oh, man, he was angry. But you know what? That didn't stop the feast going on, though, because he had a plan. And God has a plan. He says, go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in... Bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. Hmm, seems like Jesus had just talked about this group of misfit outcasts that the Jewish leaders just kind of discarded. And the, and the host of the banquet is saying, go out there and find these people and invite them and insist that they come. And he did. You'll notice that the servant was instructed to go throughout the city, the town. This was this was the 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 master's first alternate invitation list. It was to Jews. This the the city, the town represented the Jews. He said, "Go and spread the invitation to the Jews." So when the religious Jews of that day rejected Jesus. And they rejected God's offer of salvation through faith in Jesus. Then Jesus, it wasn't, it, it, you know, Jesus' invitation went beyond Judaism. To Jews who, who weren't so bound by religious practices and the law, but, but Jews who truly had faith in Jesus. And we know that there were many Jews who turned to Christ. So he said, go out and, and invite those that have been overlooked and discarded by the religious elite of the day and invite them. And, and the servant did. And in verse 22, the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded. And still there's room. There's room for more. So he had alternate invitation list number two. Then the master said to the servant, this is verse 23. Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. Hmm. He's going out beyond the city limits now. He's going out beyond the, 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 the town limits now. In other words, Jesus is saying, God, the master, is saying to his servant, Christ, he said, All right, go ahead and invite those who aren't Jews. That would be the Gentiles. The hedges, the highways, go out there wherever you can find them and, and not just invite them, but to urge them. 
with, with some urgency. You, you, you need to come. This is a great opportunity. This is a great and marvelous occasion. And so they did. And, and that's, folks, listen, that's the way God works through grace. We are that overlooked group when it comes to organized religion. We are the ones who come to Christ purely by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And look at what a marvelous thing it is. We don't deserve the privilege, the honor of having an invitation into the very eternal kingdom of God. We, we don't deserve the, the, the marvelous, unthinkable privilege of being able to sit at the master's table and, and, and he, he served us at this grand and wonderful heavenly banquet. Nobody does. Nobody deserves it. But it is the grace of God and the love of God when his own people that he had nurtured through the Old Testament all the way up to the time of Christ rejected the Messiah and rejected the, the Father's invitation into the kingdom. He had a plan from the dawn of history that he would extend that plan to those who were excluded by Judaism and religiosity and were on the outside, and Jesus brought them on the inside. Well, that wasn't the end of the story, because in verse 24, whatever happened to those who offered the flimsy excuses, who rejected God's gracious invitation into the kingdom, Jesus concludes the parable by pronouncing a condemning verdict on those like the ones that were seated around the table with Jesus at that time. Jesus said in verse 24, For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. Now I just wonder if there were any light bulbs that went on in the brains, in the minds of those, those honored Pharisees sitting around the table. I, I, I doubt I think it just went right over their head that that the master would see to it that they would never see the kingdom of God. They would forfeit the opportunity to experience eternal life and to be in the presence of the Lord forever because of their self-centered, spiritually blind minds. You know, I ask you as I close today, do you have the confident assurance of your place in God's eternal heaven and kingdom because you have confessed your sinfulness and you have repented of your sins and you have professed your rock-solid faith in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord and because you have made a commitment to follow him daily by obediently practicing the principles of his divinely inspired word do you have that assurance? You know, you can have false assurance, as did the Pharisees. But do you have assurance based on the teachings of, of, the, of the word of God, of Jesus Christ himself? Do you possess that saving faith that guarantees you a place at the table? I trust that you have that assurance. But if not, let me invite you to do so. If you sense the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart today, 
inviting you, saying, come, come. The banquet's ready. Come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we look into the word of God, and we hear these wonderful parables, Lord, that you taught. We're given a glimpse into the, the kingdom principles that you have so so diligently taught to the people that you ministered to 2,000 years ago, and you have passed along to us through the divinely inspired word of God. Lord, as we hold our lives up against the teachings of Christ, I pray that, Lord, that a message like this will give assurance, confirmation to those who, who truly are followers of Christ. Not because of our works, not because of our credentials, Lord, but because of your grace and through our faith in Jesus Christ. Yes, Lord, we know and we celebrate the fact that we have heard the invitation that you've extended to us to come and to be a part of your great kingdom by surrendering our lives to Jesus Christ. And we celebrate that, Lord, not arrogantly. We understand humbly, Lord, none of us deserve it, but you extended it to us, Lord, and we by faith received. Help us, Lord, to have compassion for those who are still on the outside, those who are still walking in spiritual darkness, who are lost. Help us, Lord, to have a desire in our hearts prompted by your Holy Spirit to reach out to those who are lost and, and Lord, to share Jesus Christ with them, to extend the invitation on your behalf, Lord, that should you choose that person, Lord, that their hearts will be open to receive you by faith, and they too will have this glorious assurance. Thank you. Thank you, Father, for loving us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming and dying on the cross to demonstrate that glorious divine love. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for continually, daily, indwelling us, leading us, convicting us, inspiring us, teaching us, so that we can walk in the path of righteousness to which you've called us. Lord, we pray your will be done in our lives and in the lives of those that we know and love. And we give you all the glory. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Brother Mark, if you will, please come and close our service as the Lord leads you. Please.